morning in Sunday school who have made a flip for us so that we can go ahead and have children's church this morning. So kids up to third grade, if you'd like to worship in the children's church setting, you feel free to meet your leaders there in the lobby. We believe it's a big deal to be in church. Do we not? Give them a good hand, all right? Amen. Amen. There's a Bible in front of you if you need one. I want you to pick up your copy this morning and join me in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And this morning, we are simply going to look at Solomon's view of time. In 1972, a young man sat down to write a song for his soon-coming child. His wife had just shared that they were going to have a baby. And he wrote the song not realizing that he would have a limited amount of time to sing to that child. Because in 1973 in Louisiana, as the plane took off, he and five of those on that plane were killed. That song went on to become one of his all-time greatest hits, and today his adult son, A.J., is touring around the country singing the song that was written for him, but now he's singing the song to his late father. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing I'd like to do is to save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with you. If I could make days last forever, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day like a treasure, and then again I would spend them with you. But there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know that you're the only one I want to go through time with. Most of you know that is time in a bottle, and the man was Jim Croce. Well, Solomon has a lot to say about time. We said this last week. Remember how, uh, how it used to be for uh, us older parents when your kids were little and you were able to get them a bath at night, get them in their clean pajamas, tuck them in a nice bed, give them a kiss goodnight and pray with them. And oftentimes, Renee and I would say, boy, we wish we could freeze time. Well, Solomon says there's a time for everything. There's a time for everything and a purpose for everything under heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first eight verses are very familiar to all of us in one sense or another. Let's read these. He says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. 
a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Look at the next three verses. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he, who, God, has put eternity in their hearts, except no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Now, when you think of the writings of Solomon, uh, he looks back at life. And I want, to th- I want to ask you all that are adults, if, if you could look back, if you're looking and could redo some things in your life, would you hit the delete button on some decisions? Would you, would you decide that maybe I wouldn't have made that choice? Uh, would, would you have thought I would have taken a different route or a different job or a different location? Uh, folks, listen to me. Life can be full of those kind of questions. But Solomon says, if life is full of those kind of questions, you're never going to find peace because you'll never find peace in the things of this world. It will be in a relationship with an almighty God who has your life, listen, mapped out. We talk about the will of God, and I want everyone to listen to me right now. The best place for you to be is in the will of God. Because God loves you more than anybody loves you. In God's plan, listen, uh, you may may be planning your life and you've got it mapped out to a T. God may have something completely different for you that you're not aware of yet. But by his grace and by his goodness, his will will be the place where you're most satisfied, where you're most content, and where you find your purpose. Did you see that verse 11? He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into their hearts. So there's this longing in the heart of man for something else, for something greater than us, for something bigger than this world, for the glory of God. Time, what we need most and use least, or what we want most and we use least. So here's Solomon looking back. How many of you remember the country singer Mac Davis? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody whose hand up is old. Mac Davis had a hit song, Texas in my rearview mirror. Some of you remember that. Rearview mirror. Uh, Rearview mirrors are helpful and they're there for a reason. Renee and I have different philosophies on parking and backing up. She wants to trust the camera, but not all vehicles have a camera. Not older vehi- all older vehicles have a camera. So I told her the fail-proof method is using rear-view mirrors. Well, I can't see the lines. Adjust it where you can see the line. Take a little time. Slow down. Because life is flying by, and Solomon addresses it in some unique ways. Here's what he's saying in eight verses. 
that every event in life is orchestrated by God's sovereign hand. So how many of you believe, really believe this morning that God is in control of your life? Uh, we say it, we say amen, but man, we live with a tight grip on it, don't we? Because I'm man-made, I've worked hard all my life. I deserve this. Now let me tell you what we deserve. Let's just get crystal clear. We deserve hell and the death and the grave. That's what we deserve. So let's quit acting like we're so good. Our goodness is only in the cross of Calvary and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ and Christ alone, we sing about it. In Christ and Christ alone. And listen, folks, only because of Jesus do we have hope. Only because of Jesus do we have hope that every time we go to the cemetery and, and there's a believer in Jesus Christ, we know that the grave doesn't have the, the, end, the last saying, the period is not on the end of the sentence, but there's hope of eternal life in a real place called heaven because of the promises of God. Did a funeral this week, and the question was asked to me prior to the funeral. How do you really know heaven is for real? I saw a movie about it once. No. Because the word of God promises it. And heaven can be your place of eternal home if you're willing to place your faith in the one who died for you and loves you most, who gives you purpose in this thing called life. So we look at these eight verses, and Solomon is saying, as I look back over life, thank the Lord for working hard, but it's some, sometimes it just comes down to vanity. What's the whole purpose? Verse 11, it says, there's something in man's heart. God has put eternity. There's something bigger than this life. So I recognize that God must have a sovereign hand in what takes place. Richard Baxter wrote these words when it comes to time because the first eight verses deal simply with time. Richard Baxter says, be careful of not losing it. What? Time. Be just as careful of not losing it as you would be of losing your money. Do not let worthless recreations, idle talk, unprofitable company, or sleep rob you of precious time. So what does he do? Look at your Bible. Eight verses of opposites. Each pair is called something, a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M. A merism. It's an English device that highlights totality by using two bookends. And we see everything in between. And where does Solomon begin? Birth and death. Birth and death. Verse 2, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. First of all, let's look at physical birth. On the count of three, I want you to name your month, date, and year, like November 10, 1961 for me, okay? So I'll go one, two, three, and you call it out, your birthday. You ready? One, two, three. 
Okay, that's the first time I believe we have spoken in tongues in, all, in this church. Okay, do it one more time. Let me see if I can hear it. Do it one more time. Okay. Marsha, you just had a birthday. Yeah, okay, I heard that. Uh, does anybody have a birthday today? This week? Past or present? Bill? Bill, when's your birthday? Yeah. 825.35. Let me see it. 65.19. Amen. Praise the Lord, Bill. Okay. Now, I would like to say, okay, at this point, I want you to share with me the date you were born again. And many folks in here would be able to remember a date. And there are some folks here who are saved that would say, I struggle with the exact date, but I remember when I gave my life to Christ. And some of you honestly probably would say, to tell you the truth, Brother Greg, I'm not sure I have a born-again date. Well, let me tell you something. Solomon is reminding us that that's the most important date you have. You'll say, no, I think, wouldn't it be important uh, when I die? I mean, I go to the cemetery, and I see some folks who have their stones up already, and maybe the spouse has passed away, and, and the, now that your name's there too, but it's just date of birth, and it's not filled in. Wouldn't it be important when it's filled in? Now, let me tell you something. What's important is what happens in between those two dates. It's that dash. It's life. And what you do in life, listen, he says, uh, Scripture says, it's appointed unto man wants to die, and then the judgment. We have a date of death where we'll be right on time. Now, Psalm 139 says that God knew you before you were born, and your days of your life were fashioned for you, and yet there were none of them. God has a plan for your life. You have a date of birth. But friend, listen to me. It's what happens in between. And Solomon says there's a time to be born and a time to die. And he even moves down into talking about farming or gardening. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Human life and plant life. Solomon uses the picture of both. Uh, the farmer certainly recognizes what it means to plant, and there's nothing like living in Preble County in the spring, and I especially like the fall-time harvest, except when you get behind the farm equipment heading to Eaton. But you know what you realize? This is where we live, right? Every now and then, I'll, I'll call my, my niece, Katie, who lives in Dayton, and I'll say it only happens in Preble County. The other day, I was on Summer Gratis Road, sitting in my car, waiting for a herd of chickens to cross the road. Only in Preble County. You see, the farmer reaps what he plants. Paul wrote in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will reap. For he who sows in the flesh will reap of the flesh. He who sows in the spirit will reap of the spirit everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So there's a time to be born and a time to die. Is anybody tired this morning? Anybody in a season where you're just tired? Anybody in a season where you're wanting to quit? 
Oh, you say, Brother Greg, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm not talking about my family. I just, I just, life is just continually one blow after another. I don't know if I can do it anymore. Well, brothers and sisters, if you're there, there is a God who can carry you through it. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. James 5, verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. So he, he, he combines together. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Verse three, a time to kill and a time to heal. Don't misread verse three. Don't leave this place this morning saying, oh, Solomon is condoning murder. He's not condoning murder. He may be referring to things like maybe capital punishment, justifiable death. He may be referring to things as wartime battle. He says there's a time for it and a time to heal. Let me tell you what, uh, let me tell you what America needs. You ready for that? Because I hear plenty from you what you think America needs. America needs healing. And there's only one who can do the job. Man, we're so divided about everything. And to tell you the truth, you pick the news channel of who you agree with, and that's what we watch. And we throw everything else out. But would you agree with me this morning? that God is way bigger than the strife that we're living in? What if all of us, what if all of us today got on our knees before God and said, oh God, would you forgive me of my sin? Forgive me of my prejudice. Forgive me of times when I've spoken out of line. God, would you heal our nation? What, would God, what could God do with people who would just humble themselves? And that's what scripture says. See, we pray for everybody else to get right. Oh, man, if I could just get Renee in line. No, it's not that. It's, Greg, straighten up. Quit thinking that, uh, I mean, I must admit, Marsh, I was sitting on the front row. We're seven minutes late, and I'm like, really? This is, this, this is a show, man. We got, we got a show going on here this morning. And, and Tim, bless his heart, I mean, you know, he is showing signs of feebleness. And Tim, Tim, you're just like me. That's why I, that's why I was laughing. It's just like me. Uh, and sometimes we're looking for things, and they're right, right there. Listen, hey, maybe you're looking for what it's all about, and it's right here. That, that's what Solomon's saying. Man, I've chased it all. And I've come to realize that God in his divine timing and his divine hand, he has a purpose for my life. Now, listen to me. Here's what we have no guarantee of. How big the window is. So I don't know who the oldest person in our church is now. But I do know we've said goodbye to Aileen. And Lloyd Cross was one of our oldest men. There's no guarantee any of us are going to be 
able to live that kind of long life. The question is, if God chose to bring me home today, if my appointment is today, am I ready to go if he calls? And if I'm not, I'm rolling the dice thinking that I somehow am going to be an exception and I'm in control of it. And when I put my hand on my heart, I am not in control of the next heart beat. I praise the Lord for his goodness. Look at it. He said there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Aren't you glad this morning that he's a healer? Jehovah Rapha. He knows what you need. He knows what you need most. And then the Bible says there's a time to break down and a time to build up. I want to ask you this morning, if you really want to make a difference in somebody's life, make this decision. I choose to be an encourager. I choose to encourage other people, whether I'm feeling it or not in my own life, God can use me and he can use you to make a difference in encouraging others. And, and listen to me, you may not have a clue what that means to somebody else. You might be here today and you grew up in a home where you were never affirmed. The carrot was always out of reach. Whatever you did, you could have done better. There's some folks like that, I know that. You might be here where your parents said everything you did was just awesome. I mean, you got the participation trophy and you're a champion for just playing. And then real life hits you and it discouraged you. Let me tell you something. A good word is something you'll never regret. Encouraging other people and, and stepping back where maybe the spotlight hits them that could rightfully have come your way. What a way to encourage other people. Acacia, letting youth do things uh, when maybe I'm thinking, well, well no, we need to, micro, Terry, we need to micromanage it. I want to tell you what micromanagement does. It chokes the life out of a church. So forgive me if I act like that toward you. I believe a real heart for missions is stepping back and letting somebody else get their hands dirty. A real heart for missions is you're in a gospel conversation and you step back and let someone else share their testimony of what Jesus did in their life. I'm telling you, folks, the kingdom of God, there's enough room for you to participate. God's just looking for some faithful folks. He's looking for some people who are satisfied customers. Um, one of the most disappointing things in my life is when evening time comes and a bowl of cereal sounds better than anything. I get that from my dad. Bowl of cereal. Oh, man, I've waited all day for this. Pour, pour the cereal in the bowl and then go get the milk to find out that it's July 22 or something like that. And, and what do you do when, when the date's bad? I don't know why. I don't know why we do that. But we just have to figure it out for ourselves, Folks, listen to me. Listen to me. The good news about Jesus Christ is he will be there for you. His grace doesn't expire. The good news of the gospel is still the same. He's still in the life-changing business. And he gives us this thing called life 
to make a difference for the glory of God. In these eight verses, you see kind of some emotional contrast. He says, for instance, in verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and a time to celebrate. If you're here today and you're grieving the loss of a loved one, you're, in, you're, in, you're on a journey. You're somewhere on the journey. Don't feel bad about where you are. God's got to process that grief through you, and he wants to help you walk one step at a time. Uh, a lot of times, Alan and Muriel will have their grief share, and folks will say to them, we're not ready. It's not that they don't need it. They're just saying, honestly, I don't think I'm ready to sit in a grief class yet. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. One person said, grief is the price you pay for love. For love. You don't have to apologize for tears. You don't have to apologize for hurt and pain and, and, and great loss. But the good news is, in Jesus Christ, there can be comfort even in the midst of sorrow. Sometimes you can live the emotional contrast in minutes. Oftentimes we do it here in ministry on, on the same day, celebrating life and celebrating loss. Look at verse five. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Most likely this is referring to a strategy that was used in scripture to cripple the enemy by placing stones in their fields, most likely in war. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter three, you shall attack every fortified city in every choice city and cut down every good tree, stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So he says there's a time for that. But there's also a time to gather stones. And gathering the stones would be the picture of clearing the field in peace so that the field could be used. Isaiah chapter five, verse two, the Bible in reference to Israel said, he dug it up, cleared out the stones, cleared out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine. So Solomon says there's a time, there's a time There's a time to throw, cast away stones, and there's a time to gather. Maybe there's somebody in your life, and I ask the question, any, anybody in your life you're struggling with, any other person on planet Earth that's just making it hard for you? I would imagine some names would come to mind in the sanctuary. Maybe it's time to gather some stones. Say, Brother Greg, I've tried everything. And as a matter of fact, preacher, you don't know the whole story and it's not my fault. Maybe it's time to gather stones. I believe when you do what needs to be done according to scripture, folks, God will give you peace to go forward. Always look for the opportunity to reconcile. To reconcile. 
Now he continues on. He's talking about relationships, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. The picture I have in, in my head this morning is Acts chapter 20, one of my favorite ver- uh, chapters. Paul has been with the Ephesians for three years. The elders are coming to him, and he's saying, I, I'm getting ready to take a trip. He said, and everything that's happened, I've learned that it's more blessed to give than receive. And the Bible says, as they embraced Paul, they fell on his neck and kissed him. First of all, for the words which he spoke. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. They would miss the voice of Paul. Some of you here who have lost your parents, you can still hear their voice from time to time, can't you? Or maybe like Renee, you saved messages just to hear their voice. So he said, first of all, there would be sorrow that they'd hear his voice no more and that they would see his face no more. They'd miss his physical presence. And then at the very end of Acts 20, it says, then they accompanied Paul to the ship. They went as far as they could. They went to the seashore, and he sailed away. So he said there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. What an emotional contrast. A time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Does it do anybody good in this room this morning when you purge a closet or something? Let's let's get closer to home. When you clean your car out, Tim, I mean, there's nothing quite like shop vac and french fries out of your vehicle and knowing that it's clean. And, and to tell you the truth, anytime I have mechanical work done on my old car and, it, and it's ready to go, the first thing I do is wash it because I have like renewed energy or renewed pride in my vehicle thinking, man, this thing can go another 100,000. You know, let's go. There are also some things in our lives we need to throw away. That unconfessed sin you've been dabbling with, uh, resentment towards somebody, spirit of unforgiveness, those are things that God can do a great work in your life if you're willing to give them to him. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's a piece of cake and there's not pain. But what I am saying is we serve a big God who is able to do and handle stuff like that. Verse 6, a time to gain, a time to lose. He talks about possession. Everything we have is temporary. Here's a humbler. If the Lord Jesus tarries, I'm really an interim pastor. What are you saying, Brother Greg? If the Lord tarries, I will die from being your pastor. That, That sounds better in my spirit than it came out. I don't know what it was. No, no. I praise the Lord for you. But everything we have is temporary. Temporary. The Bible says in Luke 12, a man's wealth does not consist of what you possess. Be a giver. 
My dad told me, you'll never miss something you give to somebody else. Be a giver. I thank God I get to pastor a church of givers. Uh, Mourning and grief is all part of it. And it seems like Solomon talks about that in several different descriptions in this text. For instance, he talks about a time to tear and a time to sow. Here's the picture. Jacob heard that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. And he tore his clothes. It was grief. Time to tear. Time to sow. That's the picture. The Bible says uh, in verse 7, there's a time to tear, a time to sow. Look at the second part. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. I think Terry's already preached that sermon about that this morning. Let me tell you something. There is wisdom in silence. A lot of times when we're talking a lot, we're telling everybody how much we don't know. Let's brag on Jesus, amen? Let's brag on Jesus. The the Bible says in Proverbs 26, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. And then Solomon moves to a time of love, a time of hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. And I believe when you look at this, we simply are reminded that everything changes continually. One writer described this as simply a poem And it's about the monotony of life. If there's no hope, if there's no purpose, we're just going to try to survive. There's a, uh, you remember the song, I Will Survive? Oh, don't act like you don't know what that song is. I think it's a disco song. You know, I will survive, oh, no, not I, for as long as I have. Get that one. There's this little alien man. And he's talking about how life is good, singing the song. I will survive, oh, no, not I. And while he's singing it, all of a sudden, the disco ball just drops and crushes him. That's the way we feel sometimes about life. And the first time we get crushed, we just feel like God must not be there. Life is more than surviving. It's living. And I believe that's why Solomon began with birth to death. There it is. There it is. Anybody here this morning thinking, I can't believe I'm 80 or 70 or 60 or 50 or 40 or 30? How did we get here? Hard to believe, isn't it? We're thinking now we remember when our parents were this age or when our grandparents were this age, where did life go? He says it's all vanity unless you recognize that God has placed eternity in our hearts to know us, he loves us, and wants us to spend eternity with him in a place called heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're a Christian, thank God for saving your soul. Amen? Thank the Lord for saving your soul. 
But if you're here today and you're not, it's really a simple invitation. Trust Christ. In a moment, we're gonna stand, or we're gonna sing.